0: Are you ready to live your best life, be stronger and fall in love with yourself? It's possible and it's inside you, but you need to unlock the power within. Welcome to Fearlessly Authentic with Jodi Harrison Bauer. Jodi used to be afraid to take risks. It took some stepping out of her comfort zone to get her there. Along with her guests and their stories, Jody will help you to live your best life ever. Now, here's your host, Jodi Harrison Bauer. Good afternoon,
1: everybody, and welcome to Fearlessly Authentic. I am so excited to have you join me once again. And if you are new to the show, it is about educating, empowering, entertaining you a little bit. Hopefully, we'll be a little entertaining today and inspiring you to go live a fearlessly authentic life because in my opinion if we're not all living our most fearlessly authentic life then what are we doing here because there's no time like the present to live in our truth to stand in our truth and trust me you know as you guys heard in the intro um i used to be afraid of taking risks and um There are a lot of things that stop me, and fear is the biggest thing in the world that can stop us from doing things. But I have a very fearless woman on the show today who I can't wait to introduce to you. But before I do, I just wanted to remind you to please rate, review, and subscribe. We have a five-star rating, so please leave me a message. We would love to hear from you. We always love to hear your ideas about the show and what you love and what you want to hear more of. And it's just really, really fun every week to, for me to learn so much from my guests or um, from you all just getting back to me and letting me know what it is that you want to um, hear us talk about. You can also find me on YouTube at Jody Harrison Bauer. And so if you just want to see what myself and my guests look like as we're chatting with each other on Zoom, you can do that, but please don't do it while you're driving. So on YouTube at Jody Harrison Bauer, and please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to um, podcasts on all streaming platforms. I just found out recently that I'm on Amazon Music. I think I was supposed to know that, but I didn't. So I thought that was really, really cool. Anyway, we are ready to get started with the show, and my guest today is Sabrina Greenlee. Welcome to Fearlessly Authentic, Sabrina. Thank you. Thank you, Jolie, for having me. It is. I spoke to Sabrina a few weeks ago as we got to know each other, and her story um, is very powerful and as I was thinking, as we as I led to the beginning of you know sitting down and chatting with her today for the next hour, I thought about how strong you are, and um, how we still don't talk a lot about what happened with you. Not specifically, but we're going to be talking about domestic abuse. Um, but this woman is a survivor. And her story is powerful on uh, not only is she a survivor of domestic abuse, but she's an incredible inspirational speaker. She's an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, an empowerment coach, and as I said at the beginning, a survivor mm-hmm. and a mommy of four, very successful children. One of them is you can go ahead and explain who he is. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, thank you. He is uh, he is a wide receiver for the Arizona Cardinals in the NFL. That's my son, DeAndre.
1: And he is, and for every touchdown he has, he comes right over to you and gives you that ball, doesn't he?
2: Yes, yes. It's a tradition that we started about four or five years ago. It has caught on. So the world knows that When DeAndre Hopkins makes a touchdown, he comes and brings the balls to his favorite fan, which is his mother.
1: (laughs) I love that. I just love it. And so you can't see him, and this is going to lead up to your story, but Sabrina is blind. She cannot see her son making those touchdowns, which is why this is so heartwarming, Um, that you have just such amazing children. And I know as a mom myself that our children mean so much to us, but I want to start from the very, very beginning of um, abuse and how it started. And if you can share your story with everybody, it's really important that we hear it.
2: Oh, absolutely, Jody. My abuse started when literally when I was 14 years old, Uh, my brother had passed away. I actually had trauma very early on. My little brother was in a car accident, not even a hundred yards from me. And I actually ran to the the scene and I held him as he took his last breath. So that was, that started my family trauma. But 14 years old, I am broken. And what does a 14 year old do? A little girl that's coming into herself. She's looking for love. I attracted an older man um, he was around 18 years old, and he began to isolate me and take control of my life very early on. So, at the age of 14, maybe three months after um, being in a relationship with him, which he started um, abusing me. And as always, you know, Jody, it doesn't start with just the abuse. I mean, I didn't wake up to a monster. Right. It began uh, with him pinching my chest or pinching my shoulder or play boxing, as they call it. But it got Mm. worse and worse. And uh, I remember one day I looked over in a car. We were going to McDonald's or somewhere. And uh, I looked over in a car and and he grabbed my face and he would not let go. And he said, like, how dare you go look at another man? I don't even remember men being in the car. You know, you just naturally looking over in the next car. So that trickled down to me being uh, abused over and over and i didn't have the ideal family life at home my mom um was spiraling out of control uh with substance abuse after my brother died and so it was just easier and better to be with this abuser than be at home and so i allowed a lot of things to happen that should never have happened um, it was, es- it
1: was sort of like an escape, right? Because home really kind of sucked, but it was it was better with him because you sort of in our and I've been with an abuser too. You feel loved, right? You feel oh, it, seen. It was
2: what it was what what I thought at the time was love. Right. And I mean, my emotions was flying high, I was so so young and vulnerable. And I ended up getting pregnant with my first child at the age of 16, having my baby at 17. I was pregnant again by the time I was 18. I found myself living in an apartment with two children and him coming and going and doing exactly what he wanted to do, and that was had me in full control. So by this time, I was isolated from all of my family. And I ended up, Jody, being in the hospital over three or four times, Crack. cracked, collarbone, broken ribs, black eyes. I remember one incident where um my cousin came to get me to take my senior pictures for high school and I couldn't go because I had two black eyes. It was so bad. Um, but nothing was nothing mattered at that time but just being with him. Um, and so like I said I married my abuser at 18. I remember having my daughter come to my graduation. She was a few months old. I remember moving out. All of these things was just, it was very emotional so early on. And I didn't really understand the significance of of who I was or or, or what I, the potential that I had or who I needed to be. I was so submissive to this man. I would have done anything for him And he knew that, he knew that he preyed on, you know, me not being able to have a family foundation or anything. That's what I was going to ask you.
1: So the fact that you didn't have that family foundation was definitely something he took advantage of and went, just knew that he had you right then and there.
2: Oh, absolutely. And not only that, but like I said, just the control and the isolation, so many people, you know, think it's love, and and I I thought it was love, and and I've you know so even after that, um, getting a divorce at the age of twenty, battling in court to fight for my children, it was so many things that I went through. But at this point, I really was broken. I realized that I'm done. Like I can't. I, I you know, love is is just not for me. So I began to go on this journey of manipulation, deceit. And I became this woman that, you know, I'm going to get you before you get me because I was just so battered and broken at the
1: time. And what I
2: thought was love wasn't love.
1: And, and probably here- a little shut off, right? You're like, I'm not letting any man near yeah. me, near my kids. Cause right. Cause I'm going to get you before you think you're ever going to hook me in ever again. Right.
2: Absolutely. And it's not something I'm proud of now, but I you understand. Know, I- uh, honestly, I became, after that, I became the abuser, more so not, not physically, because I was, you know, very tiny, but the abuser verbally, you know, the cussing, the fussing, just like, you know, no matter what, like, I'm going to get you before you get me mentality. And I ended up in a a couple of other relationships prior to that, um, going into it with, you know, the abusive uh, mentality. However, it, it caused them to, in turn, be physically abusive to me. So here I am, three or four more relationships, and you know what? I was just content with that. I was actually so broken that it didn't matter what they did. Um, I ended up having um, two more children um, in that, and I, you know, I can say that you know some of them really wanted to try to, to love me. I wasn't lovable. I was already in a place of brokenness.
1: Right. Did you ever, was there anybody ever in your life that tried to help you?
2: I don't recall anybody trying to help me. I, or at least I didn't think so. You know, it was one of those things where I would call out for help. It was like the little, the little boy that cried wolf. I would call out for help so much that and then I would go back because I was set on if if we were in a relationship we were together. Mm -hmm. Um, you know I call it the bunny and class syndrome
1: Mm -hmm.
2: where if we were together, we were together and it didn't matter what happened or you know hella high waters we were gonna be together. And so I would go, I would keep going back. Um, Even after being in the hospital for five days with barely can move my body, I mean being beaten to a I mean to, to, to the core of my soul, and all I could think about was, can someone, you know, call my abuser at the time? Because I just wanted to talk
1: to him. I wanted to know why. Uh, so, so, you, so you're like 20. How old are you? And you've got four children under the age of what?
2: I've got at, by the age of 23. I had four children um, under the age of
1: five. How were you supporting them? Who was taking care of? Nobody was taking care of you. We know that. Who was, was it hard because of what you were going through to be the mom that you want to be, the mom that you are now?
2: It wasn't. It, it on hindsight, looking back, I always tried to keep a job. Well, The hardest thing was, was having the support around me right. to help me take care of the children. But I would always go in and out of, you know some type of job just to make ends meet and to keep you know keep
1: everything afloat that it, what do you think would would be different for you what could have what could have changed the the situation for you looking back now would it have been the support of, of friends or family have been somebody brave enough to get in there and go, Sabrina, get away from this person. He's not right for you. You can't have him around your children, et cetera.
2: Absolutely. If someone just had been honest with me Mm -hmm. and had intervened and stepped in and said, you know what? Like I'm tired. I see what you're going through. You don't wear, it's not normal for you to wear shades in December. Right. Not normal for you to wear a turtleneck in November. It's not okay. I see What you're going through, I think that had someone just stepped in, had it been a neighbor that heard, um, you know, me screaming in the middle of the night in the projects or a family member to just say, you know what, come stay with me. Like, I'm tired of you. you. You look like you're frail and you're you're like, I know that you're not the same cheerleader, the same track star that you were in high school, like every you're dwindling down.
1: Right, right. So then, what happened in your life? So you're getting no support. You've got the children. You're working. What happens next?
2: What happens next is I actually meet um, DeAndre's father, Steve, and I'm in love. And like I said, the bunny and Clyde syndrome. Here we are, um, unbeknownst to me. He literally infiltrated my the projects within a matter of a couple of weeks so in my mind i'm looking for love and i'm in a relationship and it's just amazing and he is a kingpin and all he all he's ever known was to sell drugs um be around drugs do you know and and he never did drugs but it was just so many things that he had going on and so but i'm the girlfriend and he takes over the projects or whatever and we become like I said, the bunny and Clyde syndrome. We're transporting drugs, kilos of crack into the neighborhood, and um, about three years after that, nonstop, we are we are in sync, and we're in a car accident. We're in a car accident coming from Georgia mm. uh, in 1992. At the end of 1992, going into '93, and the car hydroplanes and it flips three times. It comes down and crashes on his side of the car, which pins him between uh, the car and the guardrail. He ends up uh, passing away eight days later. Mm-hmm. And I never leave the hospital. I'm right there by his side, um, which was very tragic for me. So here I am. I'm coming home to three kids at this time. Mm-hmm. With four kids, and my partner is no longer there. Now, What I look back, Well, even when looking back, he never touched me physically, Mm -hmm. but it was still a form of uh, control because here I am looking for love and God rest his soul. But I was still manipulated by the emotional um, abuse uh, and just just the neglect of me being in another state or being once again up under a man and not taking care of my responsibilities as a mother with my children.
1: And I don't think a lot of, I don't think a lot of women still to this day, Mm -hmm. understand that the abuse is not just physical. It is the mental abuse that is the real killer.
2: Yes. And as you and I talked before, I mean, when someone has your mind mentally, they have your soul, they -hmm. have your body, they have your, your capabilities as a person. And so Mentally, it's so important, and it's it's important that I speak on that because I went out of a physical, uh, uh, an abusive relationship, and I ran right into a mental abusive relationship. And I look back, hindsight, one was no more. One was wasn't wasn't worse than the other. I mean, it was just the same. It was
1: just the same, Jody. Just the same. Was the same, right? But you didn't stop there, so then you met somebody else who just swept you off your feet.
2: Oh yeah, so here I am. When I say broken, I'm talking about broken wings, I mean just totally distraught. And as you said, I met someone else, of course, here I am um attracting well, broken
1: you're gorgeous, <laughs> but you're attracting the wrong person. Like so go. many I th- I think there's a thing they taught I don't know who talks about this but about Physically beautiful women who attract abusive people in their life. I don't know. I, I have to learn more about that, but I don't know what it is. Do you know anything about that?
2: Well, I had this thing where you know, all my life people would say you're beautiful. And I used to kind of look around and be like, who me? I was so insecure. I didn't think they were talking about me. Mm-hmm. But so many people said I was beautiful. I began to say this thing to myself. I said something is going to happen to me because I'm so beautiful. This was just, Mm. you know, the enemy messing with me. But I said it would before anything happened to me tragically like it did. I would always say something is going to happen. I don't know what I felt like I was going to get kidnapped or something. Mm. Walk around literally thinking something was going to happen because everybody kept saying that I was so pretty and beautiful. Mm. It's the weirdest thing. Maybe we're talking about the same thing. We got to figure that out.
1: Yeah. We have to figure that out. No, I understand that. I do. So what happened after you met this man?
2: So I am um, trying to do what most women do. And that is try to support and take care of your children because so many people kept saying I was beautiful. I decided to go and dance at a, at a local strip club and, uh, Of course, with that came even more emotional abuse because I was myself at this point. I didn't need help doing that. (laughs) Um,
1: You had enough attention.
2: At this point, I didn't need any help. I was a self-sabotager on steroids. And, um, And so I was in the strip club and I decided that I wanted a boyfriend. Now, I had been in there a couple of years, but I decided I wanted a boyfriend. So this guy comes in one day and he's sitting there. And because he didn't pay me any attention, I was more attracted to him than I was the other ones that was, you know, um, flaunting over me. And so I began to kind of look at him. He looked at me and we decided that we were going to be boyfriend and girlfriend right then and there. It was like, you're mine, you're mine. Okay. You're mine. You're no, you're mine type thing. Um, uh-huh. they, and so what What transpired from that was unbeknownst to me, you know, he had other girls, he had a girlfriend and then, and Julie, the thing about it was there was so many red flags from the beginning. Um, I mean, the lies, the manipulation, just, just him, actually what I call mashing the gas. So he came Mm. in home and within two weeks, he had the keys to my home, my cars, access to my children, my life, everything was just there. Uh, and he wasn't leaving. He knew, you know, he had a he had an end goal. So, moving forward, um, he, as I said, he had a girlfriend. I had no idea, mm-hmm. and by him having access to my keys, my homes, um, I remember on this um, this day on July twentieth, um, twenty years ago, um, this month, uh, I woke up and he said that he was going to. Uh, ITT Tech to a school, and I, I, you know, and I said, okay, you know, just kind of brush him off, like, okay, you know, hey, take the car.
1: Yeah, sure, uh, go to school.
2: You know, yeah, take the car. Um, it wasn't unusual for him to take one of my cars that I had just purchased a brand new um, Lexus uh, a couple of weeks prior. So I mumbled something like, you know, take the old car. He knew not to take the new car. Well, he, well, of course, he took. He takes the new car. So I wake up about noon uh my baby girl is four at the time, and you know I make sure she's straight, but I'm moving around the house, and I realize that he's taking my new car so now at this time, I'm pissed off. I'm mm-hmm. like'd be too. take my new car you know i i I like him, but I've just made have been going through so much at this time that I was fed up I was tired by this time. there was a young lady that had called my phone mm-hmm. and um you know, was demanding that she speak with him. But he says it was his sister. So I just ignored all of these things. I was somewhere getting my hair. Prior to this day, I was somewhere getting my hair done. And um, he left for about an hour. I couldn't leave because he had my car. And then a young lady comes flying in the parking lot saying that he had been at her job harassing her. All of this, all of this to find out that it was the same young lady. Wow. Uh, that he had taken my car to go see this particular day on July 20th. So I get up and I'll tell you the story about how I got to be at this place. I get up and, and, uh, my, my cousin calls me, my cousin, Missy says, Hey, you know, I just, um, what are you doing? Let's go eat. And I was like, uh, I don't know. Like he got my car and you know, he's, She's like, no, I teach you take clothes. He is not there. Like
1: mm.
2: I, I said, Oh, I didn't know that. So now I'm furious. I'm pissed off. I'm fierce. I'm confused. I get a call. And as always, you know, it's the, Hey baby, Hey baby, you know, I'm here. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you another thing. It was a lot of confusion because prior to just, just that day, he would call me and it was kind of like what I call a cat and mouse game. I would go somewhere. He wasn't there, Mm -hmm. you know, and then he would be somewhere else. And this is kind of how it went for the last, three or four months. So you
1: really couldn't trust him. You wanted to trust him. You knew, like you said, the red flags were there. And for so many of us, we ignore them.
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I ignore them. And they were all there. I mean, it was just like flashing in my face every single day. Yep. And I them. I, I overlooked them because once again, it was just easier to put up with everything. And, you know, just like some women, you know, you you fuss a little bit, you cuss a little bit, but it doesn't, the problem is still there. It doesn't go away just because you, you know, you raise hell about it. And right. then, oh, so, and then they, you know, so they just, they know, they know then that's your tactic. Like I'm just going to raise a little sand and then, you know, she's still not going to like leave me or, 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 you know, get over my mess. And so
1: anyway, I go, I keep going to. I feel like they try to see how far they can push us, and then they know the limits. They keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it until they, they can't do it anymore. But, you know, sometimes it's a little too late, like this a little, story. Yeah. A too
2: late. Yeah. And so he calls me once again, and um, I'm headed either way. I'm like, I'm going to meet my cousin or I'm going to find my car. Mm-hmm. Now to this day, I don't know how I thought I was going to drive two cars, but I was just so frustrated that it didn't matter. I was going, I was set out on a mission to find my car, find out what was going on. And finally, I was going to catch him in the biggest lie so I could leave him alone. Or so that's what I thought. Right. I am. Um, so like I said, once again, I was used to playing the cat and mouse game. So here we are. Let's play the game. You know, I'm coming to Greenville to find my car. And he calls me again and he tells me to come to this place. And I make a pivot to go towards there but then he calls me again and says hey you know come near here and so I said I'm familiar with that place and so I'm on a mission I'm going there well I pass by where he tells me to go but I see my car near the gas station Mm. I pull in behind my car and I'm like okay I get out new tag it's my car has to be my I get out and um, I'm standing beside my car And he comes out, he comes out from um, kind of like a, a two townhouse situation
1: Mm -hmm.
2: comes out and he says, um, baby, baby, it's not what you think. Um, she, Mm -hmm. you know, know, she says she's pregnant. And so at this point, you know, I'm like, she, she, who I've never, you know, this is, this is new to me. I don't know what I expected, but I didn't expect a she.
1: You're like, you knew there was, you thought there was a she, but you really weren't sure if there was a she, but now you really know there's a she, but now she's pregnant.
2: Exactly. I wasn't prepared for the she.
1: Oh my God.
2: Um, so he's saying she's pregnant, which I mean, which is all just another, you know, found out later, all that was a lie that he says, she's, you know, she's pregnant. So, you know, she, who, why are you here? What's going on? And I'm probably, I'm sure I didn't say it that calmly. I was really mad. And, um, So at some point he grabs my hands and we're, we're tussling with the keys. I just want my keys. I just want to leave. And he grabs my hands. and He turns me around. So my back is to this building. I never think that someone is going to come out. Like I'm, I'm dead set on talking to him about, you know, why are you here? Why'd you lie? Why'd you take my car? I'm still kind of in the why. Right. Um, And then a young lady comes out and she calls my name. She screams my name. And I turn around and at some point I'm I wiggle my right hand away from him and I put my my hand up. Well by this time she has dashed dashed a concoction of liquid red devil I mixed with Clorox onto oh, my God. body. And I instantly think to myself, why would someone pour warm water on me? Like this mm-hmm. doesn't. 12 o'clock the sun is bright on a Saturday beautiful day and here I am I fall to my knees oh my God. on the grass and I don't even realize what just happened because at this point it just feels like gritty warm water but I realize within a matter of seconds of falling to the grass that my skin is coming off my face oh. and I I'm touching my skin as I'm touching my, my stomach and my neck, my skin is is in my hands. And so I, I just I lay down and I my back is up. And I remember looking up at the sun and it was almost like a white curtain comes over my eyes. And I instantly go blind. Well, I don't have time to say I'm going blind or feel it because at this point my organs are shutting down all at the mm-hmm. same time. So here I am, like, taking shallow breaths. I'm panting for breath. And I really don't understand what's going on with my body. Um, I am, I, I really just was, like, dying. Uh, blood is everywhere. And skin is everywhere. And I'm laying there. And I'm dying out. Oh and I here get- I I keep trying to get up. But I, mm-hmm. I like, Jody, I couldn't get up. I couldn't. I couldn't lift my own body up.
1: And you're thinking to yourself, I'm dying. I am dying. This wasn't warm water. This was poison. I'm dying. My skin is coming off of my body.
2: And um, I feel something pick me up or somebody pick me up. It's him. He picks me up. He puts me in the passenger side of my brand new car. And he drives me back up to that gas station that I had passed earlier. Um, by this time I'm going in out of consciousness he picks me up and he takes me to the door of the gas station the gas attendant starts screaming because here's this woman and she is bleeding all over the store Right. and they prop me up against the water fountain that is to the right of the cash register she locks the doors and of course so she starts splashing water in my face I'm sure that for a few minutes, he stayed there and started splashing water on my face. Also, I could hear him screaming. She's screaming. I can't see at this time. Ugh. But then a few minutes after, well, actually, I actually slumped down because I can't hold myself up anymore. She can't hold me like I'm I'm dying. Blood is everywhere. And he gets scared and he leaves me there to die.
1: Okay. I I just can't even believe this. I can't. I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry, Sabrina. I just, I'm hoping that this woman helped you. This,
2: she, I never, I never got back in contact with her, but she, she did save my life because she, she was brave enough to call 911 and they, and unlock the doors. because <sighs> she didn't know what was going on, you know. So, right. I, she, um, she, Called 911. They came in, put me on the gurney. They, you know, asking, I'm in mean, out of consciousness they ask me, who's my mom? My mom and my dad's number. I, I don't think I was able to tell them anything. So they rushed me to the local hospital. And I remember uh, someone saying that we can't do anything for her here. So they had to um, air vac me uh, by helicopter to Augusta, to the burn
1: center. Are you still... Could it do you remember how you felt? I know that's a weird question, but could you not see? What was do, what do you remember?
2: Anything, I just remember a lot of people standing over me screaming, mm. you know, trying to get air into my system, trying to put the IV in like a lot of screaming. Mm. And I remember someone saying, There's nothing we can do for her here, like oh she's right we can't do her here. Um, my family my daughter my oldest daughter Keisha my family uh, they were all at the hospital when they um, kind of transported me by and and as she says as she was standing there just something the wind blew right at the at the right time and the sheet came off of my body and my face and she said that was that was the dark blackest face she's ever seen <sighs> and it was her mom and they were trying to get me out of there. Um, they also said that I died twice on the helicopter ride uh, mm-hmm. just to get me to the burn center. Uh, once I get to the burn center, I do, of course, survive um, the flight, and I get to the burn center totally blind. 17% of my body has been burned, and I end up in a medically induced coma for one month. Mm-hmm.
1: Um Your family must have been so scared. You must have been, well, you were in a coma. This is just such a a horrible story. I feel just terrible for you. And I know that you are an incredible survivor. So what happened after you came out of the coma?
2: I come out of the coma and now I am addicted to morphine. Mm. I am am hallucinating. Nobody, and everybody's calling me, but I am. Literally making up these stories. I have I have demons coming in my room every night, and they're stealing my pocketbook. They're stealing my. Right. It was it was frightening because I literally thought I was living in hell, um, and so I now know you know that it was them trying to wing me off the morphine. So I ended up you know going in therapy for that. Finally coming home about six weeks later. Um, but even, even in the hospital, uh, it was a lot of pain, a lot of visitors, a lot of confusion. I remember a, um, a priest would come in every day Mm -hmm. and couldn't see, but, but meant, but the morphine had me thinking that I could see and yeah, very interesting. Right. I, I literally, um, was just talking to my ghostwriter about this. Like this is definitely going to be a good chapter to read, but I, um, was, I didn't, I, I couldn't see, but I thought I could see. And he would come over there. And in my mind, I could tell you what he looked like and everything, but he would always say, um, do you need anything today? And I was like, no, I don't need anything. So Mm -hmm. I'll give you, um, just a recap of every day he would come in and, finally about, this is me, this is me not, not knowing that I couldn't see. So when I got that in and I finally realized that I couldn't see, it right. was horrifying. And I remember him coming in one day and he says, do you need anything? And me being me, I said, no. And finally I tell him, I says, I need you today. Mm. Like pray for me because I don't know what's going on. Something is really bad. It finally registered in my mind that I was blind.
1: That, uh, did you ever think to yourself, okay, why, so many, so many of us think about, okay, the victim mentality, why did this happen to me? A Hmm. lot of people think about why did this happen for me? Now your situation is incredibly devastating. But you have survived. You've undergone many eye surgeries, but you're completely blind and you've done how many skin grafts? I mean, you look gorgeous. So, everything, you know, um, you look absolutely beautiful, but the surgeries you've undergone, um, you know, I know all you wanted was your sight back. That was the most important thing. And how oh, have, I- you, have you learned to live for the last 20 years? without your sight?
2: Fighting for my sight was very important.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I fought tooth and nail for my sight. I came across an incredible uh, eye surgeon, Dr. Embadi, who helped me fight for my sight, uh, starting with um, the donor cornea. So as you said, I've had at least 30 surgeries on each eye trying to gain sight. I've had three major skin graft surgeries. A lot of people don't know that my whole right side of my face is the skin that came from under my left arm to put on my face.
1: I did not know that. I did see That's- your, I did see the graphic photos of you though. And I, I, I don't even know how you survived it. Um,
2: but well, this- does- Thing is about that, it was dark for a long time, but Mm -hmm. I began to, I began to kind of start healing my insides. And so with the, because it takes a lot of, I was devastated at first. And even with the eye surgeries, I would go to some of my eye surgeries in pajamas. Mm -hmm. I didn't care. I was tired because I'm having surgeries so many for so long and for so many years and I was re- I was able to regain some sight. Um right. for just a little while.
1: Right.
2: And so what I describe as sight, it wasn't as in 2020 vision. I would tell people it's like holding a thick piece of plastic up to your face and trying to look through that. Mm. That was sight. But Jody, I didn't care. It was sight. I had a little bit, and this is why my children was in middle school to high school. I, I regained a little bit of sight. Um, and it wouldn't last long, but I would kind of, you know, cherish the little sight that I did have when I did have it.
1: Yeah. I, you know, the, I have a couple of questions for you. So you're going through these surgeries. Mm-hmm. What happened to the girl? I I know what happened, but tell us what happened with the girl, what happened with the ex-boyfriend and how did your children help you get through all of this? So a lot of questions I have for you. Oh, let's let's.
2: Okay. So she ended up getting sentenced to 20 years in jail. Good. A song battery with intent to kill.
1: She should be there forever. Yeah.
2: And she actually got out last May, May 3rd. No.
1: Yeah. This, this, let's
2: see. Yeah. Last May 3rd, she got out. Mm-hmm. I, I was thinking it was this year, but it was, yeah, it was, it was last year. Mm-hmm. I, he ended up getting a year and a half, but it wasn't because of that situation. It was because he decided that he would not leave me alone and that he would continue stalking me uh, further even after I got out of the hospital. So he ended up getting a year and a half, which he served about six months.
1: Wow, wow. you have no contact with him, I assume. Not at all, no, no. So, and how how are your how are your children during that time?
2: My children literally are my heroes. Mm. They stood up and we all became survivors.
1: They sound they, like they are. yeah, they sound they, incredible.
2: I, um, I they exude confidence and strength, and they're mm. so brilliant because they were so young and, you know, your mom is fighting for her life and being told that you can't see your mom until we pronounce her dead. Like they couldn't come. They were too small. Mm. And so for me to have to come back home to them, um, you know, was it was tough for them. But then here we are, you have these four amazing children that kind of just said, we're going to do whatever it takes. DeAndre has a story where you know, I stayed in my room for three and a half years. I was really depressed, Jody, and he said he would do little things around the house just to make me happy. Oh. Um, just when I would come out the room, just the little things, you know, right. uh, in the floor. Keisha would try to cook, and they all laugh now because <laughs> chicken that was never done. Right. And then uh, you have you know Shantaria that literally was a super motivator because. You know, I remember one day, you know, she came to my room and she says, my mom hungry. And I was in the bed and I was not trying to get up out the bed that day. I had prior to that. I had everybody waiting on me hand and foot. Um, And then here I am having to walk down the hall for the first time with
1: my little four year old and fix her a sandwich. It's amazing what we have the strength to do for our children. One of the things that I heard you say was that you would be. You know, you'd get the kids off to school, get them on the bus, and so on, and then get back into bed and literally stay in bed all day. Mm-hmm. And then at three o'clock, when they got off the bus, you got up.
2: I wanted to do whatever it took for my children not to suffer, right. or or have to deal with the choices that I made, because you know I was literally on a path of destruction way way before you know that day, right. but it something like this to make me realize what really mattered in life. And that was my children. And so I began on this mission of not allowing my decisions to come down and trickle down on them. And I would literally, it started me talking to them saying, you know, this happened, but it's not going to define us. This happened. And the more I talk, the more strength mm. and the more they realized, I was like, you're going to go to practice you know, you're going to go to school. You're not going to sit around here. We're not going to cry. And so but then I began, even when I had bad days, as you said, I would like hide it. I would go in the room. As soon as I got them off, I would just go back in there and curl up in a fetal position and cry. As soon as I heard the door open, I would jump back up and act like nothing ever happened and try right. to, you know, around the house and
1: cook. Uh, I was, I was, I was good at masking pain for sure. So how did things change? I know you said you didn't grow up, up as a very religious person, as a very spiritual person. Was it that you became more spiritual? What, what was the real turning point after this horrific accident? What was the turning point where you felt like, I'm building the confidence in myself. The more I speak about this, we do not have that victim mentality. We are survivors. We are going to carry on. You are not going to practice. You are going to do your homework.
2: I was I was just determined for my children to have a better life than me. And whatever that looked like, I was willing to do it. It didn't matter. Um, I was willing to actually move myself out of the way for the first time in my life and put somebody else first. Mm. I was very prior to that accident. Um, it was all about me. Yeah. And, and, I, and and the reason was because my mom did this and my dad did this and I'm yeah. dealing with this. And for the first time, I really saw someone else and I wanted to do whatever it took. And so I began to hold family meetings within my, my children. Um, they weren't allowed to watch certain things. They weren't allowed to fuss. They wasn't allowed to fight. I was nosy. I took doors off hinges.
1: <laughs> I kicked it down. <laughs> yep, yep, I know. I, I've taken a door off the hinges too. <laughs> I,
2: I turned into a monster. I was like, listen, I don't, I don't like your friends. You know, I don't like it was I began to just take control and uh, and I had and sometimes it was radical, but I did I was determined that I wanted to make to to make a better life for them. And so, but with that came some type of healing. Like I figured I can't just I can't keep walking around here being a lunatic every day. Right. And they're protecting me. So I began to what you know, what does forgiveness look like? I remember um a woman came in and she is still my pastor to this day. We are really good friends. And I owe everything to her because she saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And you know, she said, You was going you know, you would speak before. Thousands of women or children, and I was like, "Yeah, right." Like I can't even get out of bed today. What do right. I? What? But she be, with, but within that, she began to drop little seeds of just telling me that you know how to forgive and how to forgive. And I remember one day I'm asking her. I called her. I said, "Okay, how do I forgive?" Because I'm like I'm drowning.
1: I'm, I'm dying. I I remember that forgiveness thing um, after my divorce. All I wanted to do was forgive my ex-husband for whatever it was. It wasn't to the extreme that you had it. Um, and I appreciate you sharing this story because so many people need to learn from this situation. But that forgiveness is very, very hard. You need to practice that forgiveness. It doesn't happen overnight. And you've got to pray. I prayed every day. And then one one day I woke up and I was like, I'm good. I'm good. I forgive him. I can move on because that clogs up our, our heart. And then Uh, because I know you want love. I always wanted love. If you've got this, let's just call it hatred. Okay. Okay. That we have for maybe somebody who brought harm to us. We can't make room in our heart for love. So that's the practice, right? I mean, I'm sure that's what you agree with too. Like you just got to practice that forgiveness, but it's so hard.
2: Yeah. I think hatred is a very light way of putting it. Like I was <laughs> like,
1: like I was condemning people to hell. I was yeah, Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm leaving that up to you. Yeah, I just didn't know how far you wanted oh. to go there with that. No, I mean, you know, it it literally, I'm
2: sitting here and I am mad. But yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I think what the forgiveness for me, what I didn't know, I didn't know what it looked like. I had never forgiven anybody before. I was like, you mm. know. I was living with a lot of trauma, but I, and I talk about this, what I, what, how I began to forgive the, my attacker is I began to put a name to the hurt. I began to humanize her. Mm. I began to pray for her. That was hard. Yeah, I, can sure. say that, I can say that now with, with conviction, but praying for somebody, I'm like, you know, but I began to literally radically pray for her Now, I'm not even praying for myself at this point, but all I know is that I don't I don't want to keep waking up with this every day. Like this is it is weighing me down. And here I am. I'm telling my children that they need to forgive and we need to heal as a family. But I'm still holding on to all this resentment. And um, when I began to see her in a different light and humanize her and understand that that could have been me, I was just as broken, just as hurt. Just as angry with life,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, I began to see her differently, and it made me it made me have a, a sense of should I say a it made me have a sense of empathy for her. Right, and and I and because that's you know that's a good word for it because it it you know it definitely wasn't sympathy
1: empathy. It's empathy it, and probably some compassion, right? Compassion it, that she had to do something like that to somebody like you.
2: A lot of compassion. Yeah. And, and I began to to start working on me. And just it took a couple of years of that. Um, you know, praying and healing. And then I had, you know, my pastor coming in because I was curious at this point. I would ask her questions. And I said, you know, and I think one of the first questions I asked her was, How do I pray for my children? Mm-hmm. I want to how I never knew how, you know, I would, I knew how to fuss. I knew how to cuss and I right, def- right. I definitely knew how to, you know, discipline them. How do I pray for them? And how do I, how do I pray a prayer of forgiveness for her? And it, it changed my entire life. I, I mean, I was consistently faithful with learning how to pray the prayer of unforgiveness. And it just started with something simple, like, you know, she, you know, she, maybe she didn't have, you know, an, a good upbringing. Why would she do this to me? Trying to get an understanding. And then after, after I, you know, did all that in my head, I would just say, Lord, whatever you do, cover her tonight, keep her and everything that she touched, it shall turn to gold. That was my
1: prayer. Everything. She wow. Touched. And that's, and it sounds like that's, you st- you're the CEO of Smooth. Yes. <laughs> Believe it or not we only have 4 minutes left so we we just I, I we didn't we never even took a break because i wanted everybody to hear your story um which means speaking mentally outwardly opening opportunities towards healing yes. which aims to help and protect victims of domestic abu- abuse and uplift and empower survivors of domestic violence so if there is somebody listening right now or you know somebody right now how can they get in touch with you? Or how can they have you come and speak to their group? How does somebody reach you so they can get the help?
2: Go to the website. It is smooth with three O's, smoothinc.org. We're always updating everything you can go. And I will come and speak. I will tell my story um, as little or as much as you want. And I am just a strong survivor of domestic violence. And I'm willing to share my life and my story with everyone, Smoothink.org.
1: We'll leave that in, and I'll, I'll put that in the post also. Um, but, you know, as you were talking about the healing, don't you believe that you need to heal yourself before you can help to heal others?
2: Absolutely. Today, my insides match my outsides. Love it. And first, it starts with yourself. Whatever that looks like to you, start there. You want to make a difference because it doesn't. It's never as bad as it seems. Whatever they did to you, that is what they did, and they're fighting their own fight. But it's time for
1: you to get up and fight for yourself. It's time. I just love you, love you. (laughs) All right, I have one more question. We have about two minutes left, and I would love to know because you are my new hero. Oh. You really are, Sabrina. I just love you. I hope I get to meet you in person one day. Um, What does it mean for you to live a fearlessly authentic life?
2: Mm, It means to get up and just stand in my truth and be authentically myself. I am enough now. And it doesn't matter what goes on around me, I know that I am enough and that's all that matters.
1: Beautiful. Thank you so, so much for being on Fearlessly Authentic today with me. Um, We will leave all of your information. You're on Instagram as well, right? Do you want to give us your handle?
2: Yes, I am Sabrina Greenlee 12. Go check me out. I'm always dancing, cutting up, (laughs) spreading, spreading love. So Sabrina Greenlee 12, go check me out.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much. And for everybody who is listening today, thank you so much and have a great rest of your week and go live that fearlessly authentic life right now. I'll see you next week, everybody. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for tuning in this week to fearlessly authentic. Please listen again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and unlock the keys to a more powerful you.
2: Come on.